0: This isn't your average business podcast and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Welcome to another special episode in this series of Q&A podcasts. And a lot of these Q&A podcasts I'm doing on my Instagram live sessions, but occasionally I'll do other special episodes on this particular sub feed of the feed. And in this one, I ask Robin a very specific set of questions, which lead to maybe the emot- most emotional and even heartbreaking moments of her life and the life of her family, and how she survived it and and really um, and, and managed to bounce back and you know create a new life for herself, which eventually led to she and I meeting and. It was, uh, I think this episode was very emotional for Robin um, and it was uh, uh, emotional for me. And it was, uh, you know, I wanted to be careful while I was asking her questions and and be as gentle as possible. And let me know or let us both know what you think of these things. Most of these episodes will be Q&A sessions where people on my Instagram live are asking us questions. If you have questions for me or any feedback at all, Please write reviews on wherever you find your podcast. Subscribe to the podcast. Like the podcast. It helps. I can't even tell you how much that helps me and helps us. And uh, at the same time, if you have questions for us, you can ask me on Twitter at J or uh, Robin is at, at our altucher, or you can email me at altitude at gmail.com. And now here's the episode. Here's uh, the episode. Enjoy might be the wrong word, but enjoy. Welcome to the Robin and James show. This is going to be Robin's podcast, but I'll introduce it. This is her very first time starting. But, um, so Robin, I have a very important question to ask you. Um, what's it like to be married to James Althusser? I mean, I'm sure your listeners want to know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's 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 a horrible thing for her, but... How do you feel on your first podcast
2: well it's fun and it's fun being married to you
0: why what's so fun about it well, um, i'm always because... podcasting or writing or doing or doing other things and not yeah. spending as much time
2: no but it's fun because when we wake up we don't really like i don't know it's just fun to experiment with you and to
0: What are you experimenting Uh, on? What kind kind of experiments are you doing on me? Every day, we
2: just don't know what our day's going to be like. And then it turns into this wonderful day. And at the end, we're happy.
0: It's true. Every day. We have, since we've met, I have traveled more in the past year. We've been married for a year and three months. I've traveled more in the past year and three months than I've ever traveled in all my entire life before that. And so you're, you're a traveler. Why don't you introduce yourself a little bit like you have a a very interesting backstory very unusual very different from anyone else I've known so why don't you why don't you give the audience a little bit of your flavor
2: (laughs) well um I moved overseas I don't know in 2005
0: 2005
2: to Ghana and we were there for three years and then after that China for six years and then Kuwait for three and then to New York and so it's
0: so wait you were in Ghana Ghana three China six so that's nine Mm -hmm. and Kuwait for three so it's 12 years Mm -hmm. your kids basically uh basically grew up in Africa Asia and the Middle East right and you have three kids now together uh we have five kids three from you two from me right? and uh one thing which we're going to talk about is parenting how do you parent like all these different shapes and sizes and and so on you're like an expert in that like you have a very unusual experience and also you've parented them in the U.S. and abroad and also you've dealt with tragedy maybe you can share that story
2: right um so in um 2015 Um, we were living in Kuwait and my husband at the time was uh, diagnosed with colon cancer. He was 50 years old.
0: So, so when you say diagnosed, was he having pains? Um,
2: Just a little bit, not much, but just a a little bit of pain. And so he decided to go to the doctor and, um, they found a, a, a dark mass when we were in Kuwait and then they sent him to Houston uh to get further you know evaluation and then they came back to us and said he was at a stage 4
0: stage 4 which is cancer which what does that mean actually
2: well that just means you're terminal and that they gave him 6 months to a year to live and so um but he unfortunately he passed away less than 30 days after he was diagnosed with that
0: wow so he was experiencing some pain mm-hmm. enough but it must have been serious enough that he went to a doctor about it. Right. So, so like, like he would be, like, out, or, like, would it be noticeable?
2: Uh, he wouldn't be yeah, but he just, oh, my stomach just doesn't feel right. I don't know. There's something going on. And so that's, yeah. I mean, it wasn't like he was in tremendous pain, but it was a, enough for him that he felt that he needed to go because he never had felt that pain, type of pain before.
0: And they gave him, why did they give him six months to a year, and then there was only 30 days, like... Do you think if he had never gone to the doctor, he would have died within 30 days? Probably. Yeah?
2: Yeah, because uh, he had a kidney failure and and, and such.
0: You
2: know. So, uh, yeah, he he wouldn't have lasted.
0: And And how did you kind of navigate that between getting him proper care as he was getting more and more sick, and also dealing with your kids' questions? Like, how did you describe to the kids what was happening?
2: Well, there was really, I didn't have to describe it because they were there. We all flew to the States and uh, he was put into hospice in our home in Galveston. And so,
0: wait, wait, when he got the diagnosis, though, how did you explain it to all the kids?
2: Well, I said that, well, he, he explained it to them before he, he went to the States. He sat them all down before he left and said he has cancer and that we don't know the extent of it, but. Um, You know, I'm going to go to the States and find out more. So that's what he told
0: them. So then in the States, is that where he found out I was stage four? Yes.
2: Yes. And so then um, I didn't, you know, I just, when I found out, we immediately the next day flew to the States and then uh, met him. He had already been moved into the home, uh, our home in Galveston. And
0: it's fortunate, you know, MD Anderson, just so people know, MD Anderson is maybe the first or second best. Cancer facility in the entire United States, Sloan Kettering. You know, maybe the Mayo Clinic. I don't know, but definitely Sloan Kettering and MD Anderson is fortunate. The MD Anderson's in Houston, which is right next to Galveston, which was his family home.
2: Right. So when we arrived, um, you know, they it was very difficult because uh, you know they saw him there, and he explained to them. You know that that uh, they gave him six months, you know to a year. And
0: so in Houston, know. they gave him six months to a year. I'm sorry to interrupt. But they gave him six months to a year. and then fortunately, he was at a nice place to stay right near there, his father's mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. Um, and he started staying there. And then what happened? Like, did he suddenly?
2: Well, when we got there, uh, we had other family members there, so we were not just alone. We had family around us all the time. And um, yes, yeah, so it just sort of, I don't know, it, to be honest, it was a, it's just a blur to me it still. Um, there's a lot of it that I don't remember, but um, it was just a daily, you know, keeping him comfortable. He was in more pain for some reason than, than he was when he was in, in uh, Kuwait. Um
0: do you think it cuz it grew fast the tumors or possibly whatever Possibly
2: it was a very fast growing
0: Do you think there's anything he could have done like I don't know at that stage is there anything he could, have done? could
2: I you know we tried to get him to do different things see different doctors he just wasn't interested in going anywhere he just wanted to stay there and so we we stayed
0: Like how fast was he in hospice
2: uh, well, uh, within a week.
0: Wow! So because he got they, diagnosed they, yeah. with six months to a year, and then within a week, he's in yeah. hospice care.
2: Right, and because they they really couldn't give him uh, the therapy treatments that uh, could have helped him because he uh, had uh, um, liver damage from drinking, and so they said that if they gave him that treatment, that it would have killed him right away. So mm. there was he couldn't have that treatment.
0: Yeah. And so once he was under hospice, your kids were there, you were there, other family members were there. Right. Were you able to kind of, you know, were the kids and you were able to spend time with him or was it of just course. constantly doctors and people? No, and
2: No, we just had a nurse, uh, mm-hmm. a couple nurses there at all times and, um, you know, our family. So we were with him the whole time. You know, we we rarely left. And when we did, we would take him with us to eat or something or... So he would move around every day pretty much until the very end when he really couldn't move too much but uh
0: was he um like in you know starting from that moment though was he in so much pain that he couldn't really in in enjoy conversations or or was it
2: Yes. So he you know every day it just it was just progressively worse and worse and so you could mm. tell uh, failure of his organs you know like his kidney failure and and um liver and you know he would start to swell and and mm. it was just a very terrible thing to watch and the kids of course were there and there's you know that's you try to protect your kids from any pain or any uh, you know sadness but in something like this there's no way that you can protect them from, from that because and, they're there. You
0: know? And how did you, um, how did you like given that you were balancing, you know, also trying to calm Peter down your husband while this was happening yeah. and you're trying to manage, you know, just general family affairs and what this would mean for you and the kids, but just emotionally, like as a parent, how would you, so your kids at that time were what ages?
2: So let's see. John was sixteen, um, and then Sarah was fourteen.
0: And Lily was thirteen, and Lily was twelve or 12. thirteen. Yeah. So a twelve-year-old, a fourteen-year-old, and a sixteen-year-old. Mm-hmm. And so, how would you kind of take care of them during this time? Like, what what were they doing? Well,
2: I mean, you know, we we tried to make it. You know, as just normal as possible. I mean, you know, we wouldn't sit around and cry and, you know, but we would do things. You know, um, I would actually uh, take the kids out to the beach um, or my brother in law would take them out. And, um, you know, again, we had family in at uh, the whole time. So um, they were busy. The kids were kept busy, you know, by either me or my brother and sister in laws or, you know, Uh, and
0: uh, they must have had a lot of questions
2: yes and and my family was there I mean um, my brother-in-law was there he's a doctor and so he was able to to go walk through everything with them and 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 answer questions
0: like what would they ask
2: oh gosh you know basically what's happening what's, why is his, why is he swollen? Why are his ankles swollen? Why, you know, just they watched him die.
0: I mean, did you, did did they, so there's these five stages of grief, right? Denial and then, you know, bargaining and.
2: I feel like none of us knew that it was going to be so fast because they gave us six months to a year. And so we weren't, You know, we didn't realize it was going to be 24 days or 25 days, whatever it was.
0: Like, did you think, did you think, though, you were going to go back to Kuwait?
2: Well, we, we thought that we, we would eventually, because all of our things were there and our dog and and everything, we just left. We just left everything. And uh, so that was not on our mind at the time. I mean, the kids were out of school. I took them out of school. Um, I didn't take them out all the way, but, um, they, they were allowed to do work if they needed to, you know, if they wanted to, but the school is like, don't worry about school right now. Just be, you know, let them be with their dad. And so, um, you know, of course they didn't do any schoolwork. They spent most of their time, you know, with their dad or, you know, doing things together, uh, with the family.
0: And then at what point did you realize this is, over the tipping point, that well, this is worse than the doctors had said.
2: Right, wh- right. Well, when he, uh, his, um, I, I believe it was his liver failing, or his kidneys, or his body would swell. His ankles were would get really large, and he couldn't walk or move. So, with my brother-in-law there, um, he would tell us what was happening, you know, and and that it's. That he felt that it was going to be quite soon.
0: Your brother-in-law, uh, 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 Pete, Peter Peter Openshaw, yeah, who's a, 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 a well-known doctor. He's a good doctor.
2: Yes, in 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 England, and um, so he would tell us what was happening because otherwise we there was no way we would know. And um, so it was it was very comforting having him there um, because that way we didn't have to call a doctor all the time and. You know, he was there for the kids uh, to ask any questions. And, uh, but but what a, when
0: when did he realize that okay, it's not going to be six months to a year; it might be a week.
2: Well, when he saw him, sw- you know, the swelling in his legs.
0: And what did he say to you?
2: I I believe he said it was um, his organs were were shutting down. So that's uh, his his kidney. Uh, kidneys weren't able to process anything so it was just kind of going into his body
0: um, mm-hmm.
2: I think I, you know honestly it it was a blur and when
0: then when did, I, it, and so. then when he's saying this did did anyone ask well what does this mean for the six months to a year or how did that come up
2: no I don't remember it coming up it just we weren't thinking like that we were just thinking day by day Um we didn't think that it would come to such a, you know, a quick death for him. But um
0: Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit. And I was so excited because side by side with the Business Summit was the Norway But right, so then, you know, at some point though, you must have realized, or Peter Openshaw must have realized that it would be quick.
2: Right. Uh, I don't remember. I honestly don't. I mean, it was just, uh, how you know, how can you prepare for something like that?
0: How'd you just... how'd you tell the kids?
2: No, the kids were there. I, I didn't tell them anything I mean they they were there the whole time they saw everything they heard everything you know I spent their whole life protecting them from any pain from any you know anything and and but this was I was a helicopter mom and this was the one one time that I, there was I was couldn't do anything there was nothing I could do but to be there and 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 uh, to survive and, and to survive, you know, with them and to, to try to be strong.
0: And I, I think I, I can't even imagine going through that. I mean, I, it's horrible. I imagine at night I would think of my kids sleeping and what were they thinking, laying awake at night. And there was nothing I can do to make them feel better.
2: Right no it's that and along with seeing your spouse there as well um you know i would you know i he they put a bed next to my bed so that he you know we had a nurse in all the time but you know i uh, you know was i was with him all the time you know and at night and the the doctors would sit or the nurse and my brother-in-law would you know, tell me things, like, it, it's not going to be very long. And I'm just like, wow, I don't know what to do, you know. So they say if it's a shallow breath or, or um, you know, to let them know or to wake the nurse up or something. And, and sure enough, that happened. And I had to wake the nurse up and he was dying. So we had to wake up the kids and, ugh, this is terrible.
0: So you woke up the kids?
2: Yeah, and brought them in, and everybody was there. when he died.
0: And then how did you... I mean, I'm just... It seems like you had to deal with so many things. It seems almost beyond superhuman, like, you know, John, Sarah, Lily, your kids now are stepkids, or my stepkids, but they're such good kids like how did you and each every kid needs something different right every kid has different ways of dealing with emotions and you know and you had to kind of navigate that
2: right well i had a lot of help you know from my family and um i couldn't have gone through it i don't think without them and 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 our family was scattered all over the world and they came from Dubai and England and California, Mexico, um, and uh, and we're a family that we, we, we all live so far away from each other. But when, when the crisis like that happened, I mean, we all came together. And so I'm very thankful that I have a family like that.
0: And, and I'm sure they all helped yeah. spend time with the kids and, and yeah. console them and console you. But like, what would you recommend if a parent has to explain, like a really, or or has to deal with, maybe not explain it, maybe explain the wrong word, but has to help the kids navigate a tragedy that's so personal to both you and them. What would, what, what do you sort of say?
2: Well, you know, I felt like I had to be strong. I mean, I was the only parent left for them and I was not strong, really. I, I didn't feel on the inside, but I had to, you know, try to, to show that strength. But uh, there are times that I would break down and they would see me cry, and that's okay. I mean, I figured out that that's okay to do. You know, that's life. And I don't want to give them a false, you know, um, example of what, They should do if they're sad or you know uh angry i mean you you should show the kids your emotions because it is normal to have these emotions so um the best thing i could say is just to be there for them and and to let them be sad and, and 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 go through all that you guys you know we would go through it together um one thing I did do, though, is after he passed away, we we went back to Kuwait. And it was after about thirty days we we stayed in the states for thirty days, but then I thought it's time for us to go back. And uh, uh, I wanted to get him back into school. and I felt like giving them some sort of normality, you know, of of a, of a routine that they're used to uh, would be good. And so, that's what we did, and so we flew back. And plus, I had to pack up and, and get ready to repatriate back to the States. And um, we stayed there from November until January of 2016. Uh, we were allowed to stay in, in there at the camp. And uh, so, it gave us some time to, you know, through the process of all this, but we did some counseling um uh while we were in Galveston for that month while we were there so that was helpful and uh, I think just getting sort of back into a routine was was a good idea. And was it? So yeah I think so. Uh and then uh continuing on uh grief therapy I think was helpful as well.
0: What are you learning in grief therapy?
2: Just how to cope with with a loss, and and um, the kids seemed to to do pretty well uh, with that because the the counselor told me that all three of the kids were very good at um, dealing with loss because being a a child, an expat kid moves from one culture to the next and uh, experiences something like death you know because they lose their friends they lose their home they lose everything so when you go from one you know we went from ghana to china they left all their friends a whole different world you know and so that's that's a big loss for them and they dealt with it and um, they started a new life in china and so they were in China for six years and then they made lots of friends and it was their home. And then we moved to Kuwait. And so they had to leave all their friends in China. And and, and they home. still
0: keep in touch with some of those friends. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. But it was still very hard for them. Yeah. And then same with Kuwait, leaving their home in Kuwait they loved and their friends and See? having to come to the States where they hadn't lived their whole life. Coming back to their passport country and, you know, coming back to this culture that they're American and it was hard for them because they weren't used to, you know, they would judge themselves against their own culture. And it was not easy. It, It still isn't easy for them. They feel much more relaxed overseas because they don't judge themselves. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense or
0: not. No, well, actually, let's think about that. So, like, like so, so, first off, when you repatriated, not all three kids moved back to the United States with you,
2: right? So, my oldest, John, he decided to finish high school uh, in London and stay with his aunt and uncle there.
0: Why didn't he want to come back here?
2: Um, he just wanted to. Uh, I don't think he want. I don't know. He just didn't want to come back to the states. He wanted to stay abroad. Um,
0: and you and you were and that was
2: fine uh, with me, you know, mm-hmm. because uh, he loves his aunt and uncle. He, you know, and so I knew he was safe.
0: But and... when you when you last saw him, like you're you're in Kuwait, you're packing up, you're getting on the plane, and you last saw him before moving back to the United States with your two daughters, mm-hmm. and him not there. That was, was
2: very difficult, because as a family, when you live abroad, you are a very close knit family because when you move from one culture to the next you know and you and and then you move to this new continent this new culture you all you have is your family that you know so you become very close to each other because you're sort of scared you know you go from one place to the next and you don't know anybody so The kids don't know anyone, you know, so it's, you become very, a very close-knit family. And so that's how we were. Uh, We've never been apart. I mean, I've only, was only away from my kids twice in their whole life. And uh, and that was only to go to look for another residence in another country, you know, Uh, and we were only gone for a few days. So uh, it was hard when he Left and he went off on his plane, and we went out on our plane. And I, you know, I knew he was not going to be with us. It was hard.
0: And then, of course, you moved to New York City, and it's difficult to live in New York City. Like, were you nervous? Um, you know, yeah. what were the things you were nervous about?
2: Right. Well, New York, I thought because the company said we have to repatriate you back to the States. Where do you want to go? And I was like, wow, I don't know. I don't know, I don't want to go back to Texas, I don't want to go back to California. And my late husband was from New York City, so I thought, well, maybe we go here. And I had a small support system here. And um, so I thought, oh, we'll just do that. And it's multicultural and the kids will feel more comfortable maybe, rather than going to a uh, homogenous area. And so then they could take the subway. They were used to big cities. So I thought we'd go to New York. And so uh, we moved here. And and then I was thinking, wow, I can't believe I moved us here to New York. It's like really difficult to live. I didn't know anybody.
0: Yeah, New York City is one of those places when when everybody moves here, they kind of go through the same thing, which is that it's infinitely crowded and yet infinitely lonely at the same time. And also, it's scary because it's hard to live here. Like financially, no matter how much money you have, New York City presents more and more challenges. Right. You know, to, to live here, like it's it's difficult and and to make connections. You know, everybody when you first move to New York City, I always feel like everybody wants something from you or there's an mm-hmm. agenda. Everybody's yes. got some sort of agenda, and it doesn't happen yeah. in other cities. Like other cities, people are fine about oh a new friend i'll get to know them Mm -hmm. in new york city people want to get to know you if they can get something and i don't say that in a bad way it's not like they're scheming it's just that's the way new york city is very transactional that way
2: very much so and i was not used to that at all um but like you said i mean it's a very hard place to meet people and i've never been so lonely in my life even though i'm around so many people but I didn't know anybody and no one really reached out all my friends were living overseas. So, uh, at least I had, uh, friends that I can communicate with, you know, through the phone or through Facebook or something, you know, WhatsApp calling them. But, um, yeah, so it was, it was not easy at all. And so, and then I had been married for so long and, and then being single, uh, and, Moving here, you know, haven't worked in, you know, since I sold my business. Um, when I sold my business, in two thousand, I guess. So it's been a so, so been, a been a like long, sixteen years, long time, right? Since since I had worked and and uh, now I had to take care of me and three kids. So, uh, this is really crazy. I think about how did I survive? And I did, but I just I didn't think about it, I just did it. I, you just couldn't. I had to just take take it one day at a time because if I thought about everything I had to do, if I thought about when I flew back to Kuwait that I had to move our whole house and repatriate, I I would have just I don't know. I I I, I would freeze thinking about it like what how how am I going to do this but I just every day I just I didn't think about it it was a a huge hill I had to climb a mountain and I just had to do it one step at a time
0: I think that's the key like I think I think if I were in a similar situation I've never been in the exact same situation but I've been in situations where I didn't know how I'd be able to take care of my family and I think I kind of it was a really hard challenge for me to learn how to not To project too far into the future because then there's always disaster waiting for you right around the corner if you think about it too much and taking it one step at a time is incredibly important but some days i just wouldn't be able to do it i would and it would be really scary i don't know like how do you kind of force yourself to take it to really stay in the present and say what can i do right now that can help me as opposed to just panicking about what's right around the corner.
2: Well, yes, and that was hard. And it was, it was, I had to change the way I was thinking because I would wander, I would wander off thinking, oh my God, what am I doing? Like, why am I here? Why did I move to New York? What are you doing, Robin? And at those times is when, that's when I was thinking about the future like where am i going and i i I couldn't allow myself to be in that place very long because i would i could feel myself really just spiraling down so i had to stop
0: and yeah and and i did that
2: right but i stopped by not just telling myself to stop i had to get up a lot of times i just wouldn't get dressed i would just be in my pajamas or something and um, but I would just get up, get dressed like I was going to work, and, and leave, walk out the door. I didn't have anywhere to go, but I had to move. I had to just move. I, I would go out into the streets, and the, so many people walking, I just go walk with them and I just walk somewhere and with nowhere to go. But at least I was moving around and, and I was able to think. Uh, while I was moving, and it's better—it was better for me to do that than just sitting and 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 thinking about what I need to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I don't know.
0: No, but that's that's interesting because you can't think your way out of disaster. You can't think your way out of stress. You can't think your way out of anxiety. Like ultimately the the brain wasn't sort of set up to do that. The brain was there to sort of get food and outwit our competitors for food. But you have to actually do things to get food. You have to do things to trigger all the neurochemicals. On the one hand, you can, it biologically, like you have to do things to trigger dopamine, mm-hmm. oxytocin, serotonin, all these chemicals that make us feel accomplished and like we can succeed and so on. And more more philosophically, you have to do things to know you're doing them. You can't just sort of sit and let, and, and, and feel this fight or flight instinct. You have to kind of actually fight or flight. You have to actually, those are, those are action verbs, those instincts, like the body has to fight something or fly from something, you know, freeze is almost the worst of the, of the, of those instincts, because then you're just going to get destroyed. Right. And so, yeah. um, look, that was very traumatic. This was, um, started, uh, what we realized on our first date was that I had a, not as traumatic as you, but I had a traumatic end to my mm-hmm. marriage, the exact same month. And, uh, you know, so there was a lot of things that was happening in, in parallel and, you know, similar kinds of fears, but to hear the next step in your story and to continue with how you parent through tragedy and trauma and really get through these things. And then ultimately how we met each other and, and related, uh, and, and, and and argued, we don't always agree on everything. Um, let us know if you like this episode and we'll do more and release more. Did you enjoy your very first podcast? Not that, not not to be enjoyed. We talked about such sad, tragic things, and it, we, we didn't even intend to talk about these things. It was just kind of. Sometimes I let the questions sort of just direct me, uh, um, but.
2: And also talking about what I did to, to make money, and for the first time in sixteen years, how. Yeah, I, I can't
0: even imagine. And we'll we'll save that for, the next one. How do you make money when you haven't worked in sixteen years? How do you raise parents at the same time? What happened when you were single? I mean, we'll see. We don't want to go too far into that until we meet me, but, uh, uh, thanks for being a guest on, well, thanks for having me as a guest on your show. (laughs) So I'm a guest interviewer on your show. Let us know if you like it.